You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon, and we do thank you for listening to America's Web Radio. And uh, we've got Agent in Charge, and this is very timely, as a matter of fact, because we've got... uh, We've got Mr. Bostic with us, Andy Bostic, who was a is a former Homeland Security agent, special agent, and uh, worked in many branches of law enforcement with the federal government. And um, what's going on right now is, and I I just saw, and I was trying to bring it up, and uh, somebody might be able to help me out out there, but uh, I just saw that um, WND, which I'm not a a big fan of, but uh, once in a while they'll get it right, uh, is reporting that, um, let me see if I can find it, is reporting that the cop and Floyd actually work together. And uh, this would be a whole different twist on what's going on today. Um, let's see if uh, if I can find it. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to or not. Doesn't seem like everything wants to work right. But anyway, um, you know, what's what's going on today is just, uh, yeah, here it is. Um, okay, WND, if it'll come up again, I found it at least, uh, report George Floyd and Minneapolis Cop work together at same nightclub. Ah, uh, now... Uh, hi, everybody. It's, it's, it's uh, Sandy Boss again, and uh, it's always safe to say. So, yeah, you know, I heard that they, uh, that they, that they, uh, that the cop had worked there at that, uh, at that same bar, but I didn't realize that, that Mr. Floyd and, and the cop actually worked together. I, I know that they both frequented the place, but I didn't realize that they worked together there. Well, you know, the whole thing is, and we've said this over and over again, is, Two wrongs don't make a right. The cop was wrong, and like you and I were talking earlier, excessive force in this case was stupid. The cops standing around watching, and they were stupid that they didn't pull their peer off of him. And the whole thing is just blown out of proportion. Uh, I got in a discussion last night, and this is this is what I really sort of wanted to go at uh, today, is... Um, what we're doing now, and uh, I got in a discussion, a, a lady informed me that, you know, how terrible Trump was and that he's doing everything wrong and all this kind of stuff. And I said, well, what would you do different? And, uh, oh, well, uh, 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 I, you know, uh, you, you, we just shouldn't restrict people's freedom of speech. Well, I don't think... Uh, Freedom and speech and burning buildings is two different things. And uh, as I informed her, I said, you know, that's sort of like saying that uh, that an illegal immigrant is legal, when in fact, if they're illegal, they've crossed illegally and come into our country, they're criminals. They've broken the law. And it's like these rioters. I don't care what you call them, what you paint them, what you anything them. If they're throwing Molotov cocktails at cops, if they're breaking windows, if they're stealing, they're crooks. Oh, no, they're just protesting. The hell they are protesting. They're crooks. 
they're no better than a, a, any other common criminal that breaks into a guy's office. And quite frankly, oh, she went berserk when I told her about the the situation in Philadelphia where a gun store owner had been targeted by the rioters and had been told that his store was a target. So he was staying there well-armed, as you can imagine. And sure enough, here came, uh, they broke through the chain link fence in front. Then they broke into his front door and started coming in, and they were carrying weapons. And he greeted them with a round or two or ten and uh, killed the first one in and uh, probably scared the death out of the rest of them. But anyway, uh, I don't think he'll be charged. I don't think he should be charged. He's protecting his property, and somebody's breaking in and has a gun, and they're threatening him. So... In my opinion, he had every right to blow him away, and uh, she thought uh, that I, I think, was just terrible. I Dave, the thing is, I mean, yeah, that's the uh, that's the opinion we hear in in your part of the world up there in Georgia and, and uh, Texas. Look at it, and uh, and uh, and yes, by all practical aspects of the law, uh, that the gun owner should not be prosecuted. He was protecting his property, but. Different states have different rules, especially when you get the Northeast. You know, their laws are different than what we're used to. And, and uh, he's probably going to have to prove that uh, that uh, there was no way for him to escape. You know, I don't know. I, I, I never really worked much in Pennsylvania. and uh, But uh, but with any luck, hopefully the uh, people of Pennsylvania have, have common sense uh, self-defense laws there that this, this person will not be charged He'll be exonerated for doing what his his right by the Constitution is protecting himself and, and his property. Yeah. So, so hopefully, like I say, and, and uh, but like uh, of course down here in Texas, he he wouldn't have an issue. And uh, but up where he is in the Northeast, it, it's, it's sometimes it's a whole different ball game. And this is uh, you know, let me ask, how do you feel about the situation? And uh, well, let me give you my opinion. My opinion first is that. You meet force with overpowering force. And, uh, you know, like I said yesterday on a show, uh, fixed bayonets, uh, uh, E6 or first sergeant yells that to his platoon or, or a company commander yells, you know, a fixed bayonets. And, uh, that should, that should make a lot of hearts stop right where they are. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I think Trump has done, under the circumstances, has done a good job. And it's a hard call, you know. Uh, well, I'll say one thing for the president. Uh, I don't know how he keeps his energy level up. Because you think of the stuff, he all the different crises he's had to uh, had to weather in his uh, almost four years now, and especially in the, just in the last three to four months with, with the, uh, the virus and now this situation. And, uh, you know, he has a lot of energy, but I, you know, it's one of those things he's done, he's doing the best he can. And really what it comes down to, uh, it's, it's the, it's the governors of the state. I mean, they're the ones who have the authority to call in the National Guard. Right. They're the ones who should be protecting their, their state. And then it comes down to the mayors as well. I know we were talking before the show that your mayor there in, uh, Atlanta has done a pretty good job of shutting everything down as far as the, the violent end of the protests go. And which I'm really glad to hear. And, uh, and see. And, uh, but this really comes down to is, you know, the National Guard is funded and is there and is under the control of the governor for these situations just like this. And so if, if you're in a state that they have not activated your National Guard yet, you need to get a hold of your, of your state legislators, 
say, hey, what's the problem? Because it's not that, you know, it's one thing watching it on television, television and watch it. Second, other thing, you watch them coming through your business or coming down your street ready to destroy your house. Oh, yeah. And so, uh, but I think, you know, later in the program, you know, maybe the second half, I kind of want to discuss just the, you know, Think about this program. What what I like to do is is not just you know discuss issues, but give you some practical uh, options on what to do if you do find yourself in one of these situations where where you are surrounded by a mob and and uh, how to avoid them and, and what to do if you get yourself in, in too deep. So anyway, but like I say, uh, we want to uh, talk about the whole situation here. And, uh, and what I you know in, in this, uh, and I've been asked this by a lot of people I know that I you know I've, I'm in the, uh, the, the the cattle business now. My wife and I are. And uh, so I've come in more contact with people now who are not in law, who are not in law enforcement or never were in law enforcement. So there's a lot of questions and, and uh, that we take for granted that there that there are answers for that that, that the common person doesn't know. But I just want to start off by saying that this uh, officer uh, Derek Chauvin, uh, his acts on and he's really I mean he's the person responsible for this. I know there are four police officers fired for this. And, uh, and and we're not stepping in, but it, but the person ultimately responsible for the for the death of this poor man is the uh, is the officer. And uh, and I've been through lots of law enforcement training. I've trained uh, agents and officers and at the state and and, uh, and federal level and uh, training and and uh, and you know working at these levels as a state police officer as well. And nowhere in any of my training have we were we ever taught. To ever put your knee on someone's neck because you can just if a person who's in custody or you're trying to get custody of someone and uh particularly in this situation yes you know, i've watched the video and i've watched it several times and tried to try to come up with some ideas of what happened and uh but you know when what i saw is that uh, uh the uh mr floyd when he was uh in custody Okay, he already has handcuffs. He wasn't fighting. I know they were trying to escort him from the scene to uh, take him away from questioning. And and, uh, and my understanding is that he told the officers when they when the officers told him that they were going to put him in the police car that he said I'm claustrophobic. I can't get in there. That's when he fell to the ground. Okay, that's not really resisting arrest. I mean, that's just yeah. He's not he's not healthy, but he's not fighting. And I never saw any point where this man fought. And I never saw a point of the video when he wasn't handcuffed. And so under this situation, I mean, patience and tolerance, you, you have to have that. And that's trained into you as an officer. And uh, especially today, when they said the first thing that happens when somebody goes in handcuffs, with all the video, all the phones come out and the videos start, you know. And uh, so, but in this particular case, you know, what the officer did was 110% wrong. And he, he definitely deserves to be prosecuted. Uh, he never should have done that, especially when the man uh, told him that he couldn't breathe, he was having problems, he should have taken it seriously. He obviously was uh, pumped up full of adrenaline, the officer was. There were probably some words that were exchanged at the time, but that's no excuse to act in this way. It's pretty obvious that he did not kill uh, the, this man, uh, Mr. Floyd, on uh, on purpose, and so which does not excuse him from from the fact that he took another person's life. I mean, you're not going to get a murder one or a murder two charge. You'd be somewhere like the murder three range, where or the you know, which is it's pretty common, most commonly called manslaughter, where he took a life, and uh, you know his actions led to it, but it wasn't premeditated, and uh, and it, but it was it was forced beyond what he needed to to uh, exert at the time. And, so, and what would you give his odds? What would you give his odds are if he goes to prison? 
well, they'd have to, they would have to put him. He, he would be in solitary confinement the whole time he's in, especially a person that's been in in the situation. Because prisons, you know, most prisons people don't realize most prisons today are, are privately owned. The majority of there are still federal and state prisons, and uh, but probably the majority of prisoners housed in the United States are, are in, in uh, private facilities. Geo is the one that comes to mind that we work uh, quite a bit with in the, my last so. 15, 20 years as an agent. and uh, But they don't want anyone inside to be assaulted. Of course, they don't want, they're very careful that when one gets assaulted. Uh, no one is, is uh, harassed. They do their best they can. And so in his particular circumstance, he was, whatever time he gets in jail, he will spend in solitary confinement. Not because of, so much because of his his acts, but, uh, but just because, you know, you have to protect the guy. And so that's kind of a, Double, double uh, punishment on him, uh, non-intentional. But what, what, what can you do with a guy in that situation? Yeah. Well, it's uh, now let's let's go to the. Um, uh, do you th- you know we're in the perfect storm as far as our national enemies go? We've just barely come through, and we're not out of it yet. The uh, pandemic, and then we have this come up and we've got national rioting and stores that you know may or may not ever recover and our economy is going around in the bowl right now with the flush handle down and <laughs> well uh, i tell you what is amazing Dave. last i looked we were up today on the dow jones about uh three to four hundred points somewhere there hmm. and so uh I think we're looking back at this historically. This is, of course, very uh, similar to the Rodney King riots back in Los Angeles. And right. I think that was back in uh, 1992, if I remember right. And uh, But we're seeing something somewhere that, okay, th- this is a bad situation, okay, and uh, people are getting hurt, things are getting destroyed, but we're not seeing it really affect the overall, I mean, I talk about the markets right now. I mean, I, I'm real surprised. I figured this would we would have lost a couple thousand points when all this happened, but it has not happened. And so, uh, like I said, I guess, I guess if I were, uh, truly a financial wizard, uh, I wouldn't be, uh, uh working on my ranch. I'd, I'd actually hire people to come work for California. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, you know, so. the way I look at but this anyway. is, it's none of, neither one of them, the pandemic nor the riots, are going to be short term as far as recovery goes. And it's, uh, right. no, I totally agree with you on that. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be years, uh, if ever, in some cases, and uh, right, right. But now, you know, but let's you know, let's, let's go back and look at this, and and uh, and, and I, I just like to say, I, I like to, like I told you, what I, the lesson I really learned as an agent is that there's two sides to every story. Don't ever just rush off and think that what you're seeing on television, what you're reading in the media, what somebody's telling you is 100 percent true. In their mind, it might be. But people always tell a story from the perspective that, that best uh, that best suits their needs, which may be getting themselves out of trouble or driving home to a point that they want to make. And so, you know, uh, Mr. Floyd, and Mr. George Floyd, okay, I understand he was a Christian man, and uh, he had turned his life around, and, and the last four years he had moved to Minneapolis to get a fresh start and was an activist to... Uh, to help people in the black community as, as far as overcoming, uh, you know, a criminal lifestyle and, and also speaking, I don't think he was in it. What I understand, he was not an enemy of the police. He was, uh, he would talk very with the police and, and, and it was always wanted to see good police relations. And so it's kind of ironic this happened to him, but, 
but he was, you know, this, those of you who don't know much about him, uh, he was, he was 46 years old at the time of his death, and, uh, he, he moved to Minneapolis from Houston, and he had a pretty extensive, uh, criminal history. And so, and I'll just read what I, what I pulled up on him here. He said he pled guilty to entering a woman's home in the Houston area, pointing a gun at her stomach and searching the home for drugs and money, according to court records. That's what he was in prison for. He was released from prison in Houston. That's when he moved to, uh, to Minneapolis. Uh, he was sentenced to 10 months in jail for having less than one gram of cocaine in the December 2005 arrest. He had previously been sentenced to eight months for the same offense stemming from an October 2002 arrest. He was arrested in 2002 for criminal trespassing and served 30 days in jail, which was probably had something to do with probably, I don't know the details on that case, but usually if you want to plead somebody out to a burglary charge, that's what you go to, criminal trespass. So he was probably there trying to break into the building. And uh, he had another. He did another t- uh, tour in jail for uh, theft in, in 1998. Did a couple of years on that. So, like I said, I'm glad to see this man got his life turned around. But at the same time, when these police officers went to initiate this arrest, I mean, I know a, a, a street cop is a, is a little bit different animal than a uh, than a federal agent. In that, you know, when we would make arrests, we had we. Most of the time, it wasn't a spontaneous thing. We had targeted someone that we had, had researched and had gathered evidence on, and, and uh, we had enough to get a, a warrant to a judge to go arrest them. Of course, we had all we had plenty of times to make it operational, and we would do backgrounds and know what we're going to come up with as far as this person's history, and uh, as far as when they have a criminal, when they have a criminal history, or they're a violent person. So we went in prepared. Okay, now today with today's technology. Those, your patrol officers have pretty much the same information at their at their fingertips. They have onboard computers in their cars, and they can run criminal histories right in there, or they can call them in and get criminal history reports back really quickly. And so I'm assuming that in this particular case that they probably knew about his criminal history, which is probably why they had him handcuffed to begin with. I think it was a pretty minimal charge. I don't think it was a felony charge. I, I don't know what, what, the, what they were arresting for. That may not even come out until... Uh, the, the police officer goes to trial as to what actually happened there. But uh, but they probably had an idea of what his criminal history was. I mean, actually, he did point a gun at a woman, and, and, uh, and it, which is a, it's a armed armed robbery, armed assault, broke to her house, breaking and entering. And so, you know, the, anybody with common sense would know when you're trying to handle a person like this, you have to go in there prepared. Now, what escalated after that, like say, is not excusable because the man wasn't fighting. Uh, he was handcuffed. He wasn't really cooperating, and then he laid down. But that, you know, you're taught how to handle that too. Just get a few more guys, pick him up, put him into, a, or get a bigger vehicle that he would not be, uh, he would not be so opposed to riding. And there was, there were several options they could have taken here. And uh, so, and with the history of the police officer, I know that, that my wife said that she had researched him, and he had been uh, reprimanded 18 times for similar conduct. Of course, he hadn't killed anyone, but he was just being uh, excessive in, in, in a use of force. And so, obviously, he's a guy that they should have gotten rid of a long time ago. And uh, But anyway, with that said, you know, looking at this situation, you know, the whole thing, and I, I hate, and I, I have to preface this by saying, you know, I, I've, I have a degree in journalism and investigative reporting. And so I know what's taught in journalism schools, at least what they was taught in journalism schools about 40 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they're teaching these guys today. But uh, at the same time, what's totally overshadowing uh, 
the good things that are coming out of this is the violence. And that's because, like, I, I call it, you know, the media, you know, of course, they're, they're loving the ratings. I mean, the COVID-19 COVID, uh, and uh, and, uh, and this event back-to-back, I mean, this is a this is a media uh, uh, fanfare. I mean, they're having a blast because they got all the stuff to report on. And, and like I say, I, the, the three things, and I learned this in an advertising class, and it also holds true with uh, reporting news, is that the, the things that, the, that the, the media knows that people are going to tune into is sex, fear, and smear. And with uh, sex being number one, of course, you know, they do sex everything, and then fear, they, as long as you're afraid that they can, they can keep your fear low, fear low, you're going to keep watching the news, or they're smearing a politician or some person that everybody can get all emotional and caught up in. And so what you're not seeing, and this happened in our town near where we ranch, is uh, there was a uh, protest there in Seguin, Texas, and where the, the, the police officers and the protesters were, were peaceful, they, they actually prayed together. Same thing happened up in Fort Worth a couple of days before. Have you seen anything in the news about that, Dave? Have you seen huh. any, any any news story about the cops and the uh, the protesters praying together? No, no, and so uh, and you won't. News. You know, if it doesn't bleed, it doesn't read. Right. So that's why I'm saying this whole thing. I mean, so much of this, uh, you know, with the, with the the media gets involved. Even if you're a conservative, if you, if you tend to watch conservative radio, I mean, uh, news, uh, they're not covering these good things because the same they're, they're still, they're affected by the ratings just like, you know, the, uh, the, the more liberal news uh, outlets are. That's why I like the thing about this channel is like I say, I'm not, I'm not running for office and with your station, I'm not running for political office and so I'm just going to come out and say, say things the way they are. You know, uh, George Floyd had a very uh, had had a, had a high level of dangerous criminal activity, and so I'm not justifying what the police officers did, but I can understand them going in there with uh, with the radars tuned in, and uh, because you know, the 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 flip side of that is that, that dangerous people do dangerous things, and, and you can you can get killed in a heartbeat when you're a police officer trying to handle a dangerous person if you're not if you're not prepared. Well, I, Sandy, so, I I think we talked about this last night, but uh, you know. I have this strong emotion about the military and about our veterans and somebody like a Pelosi saying rules of engagement or or having anything to do with them. She doesn't know. She's never worn boots. She hadn't been out there, right. nor have any of them. Now, I'll go one step further. I don't know, and I mentioned this yesterday. I don't know, and there may be, but I don't know of any police organization any any police force city police force that doesn't have a ride situation where if you want to ride with a cop for a night you can or for two or three hours or whatever you know and uh, i i have suggested this many many times certainly before all of this happened but that every citizen should take the time to ride you know a four-hour six-hour shift with a cop and find out what they go through. I know I'm I'm living proof of a chicken. I ain't going into that dark building without a dog, and I'm not going to find out who's on the other side of that wall uh, crawling in through a window, you know. I just, uh, that, <laughs> I'm a chicken, and be the first to admit it. And, you know, and, and just like you were saying, we don't know what that cop knew about Floyd when, I, you know, and I certainly don't. I've never. I've known a lot of cops, a lot of city police officers and sheriffs, and uh, I can't say I've ever 
and I've ridden with a lot. And I can't say that I've ever had one say, oh, man, this is the call I wanted. I can go beat son of a bitch up, or I can go do this, or I, you know. They don't go into it that way. They go into it just like you or I would or anybody would, saying, I hope I'm prepared. And if you want to be scared, and and uh, like you said, you, you were federal and not local, but if you want to be scared, you go into a domestic quarrel. You don't know whether the husband or the wife has the knife, you know, um, right. until you get there. You know, that's right, go ahead. We know, I, I, I did get to spend some time as a, a state officer. I was a game warden, and, and uh, in Texas, a game warden is a, is a peace officer. You're, you're basically a state trooper. You just get you get quite a bit more training in, in surviving in the wilderness and, and also game laws and, and boating and, and working off in the Gulf of Mexico. So you're a police, you're a peace officer like all the rest of these officers, a uniform officer. I did get to spend some time doing that, so... I do, and uh, I've responded to uh, to domestic violence, you know, with with deputies as their backup, and and uh, I've worked DWIs as, as long as uh, what they call them, D, uh, they call them driving along. We call them DWIs in Texas. Yeah, they DUI. Driving under and DUI. It's, most they call them DUI. And so I, I've been in that situation, and, and I was actually trained, you know, as a state officer. We were trained also to handle riot situations because we, we would if, if uh, we, there were no riots really big ones during my time in, in uniform and, but we were trained to go respond with the state troopers and uh, so we went to the same training, training they did and uh, and the, we were trained with them to how to react in these situations And uh, but like I say I'm not condoning what the officer did after the uh, Mr. Floyd lay down I mean putting his, his neck his knee in his neck unless you're fighting for your life and that's I don't even know how that would help you. You'd be, there's other things you're trained to do, but you know there was no excuse for him to put his full weight on that man's neck. And I, I was surprised that just by watching the video that what I, when I first saw him go limp like he did, I thought that he had broke his neck. I mean that's the way a person with a broken neck looks. You yeah. know, I mean when the, all of a sudden everything just shorts out. And uh, but that wasn't the case. I believe that the uh, latest autopsy says that he did die from asphyxiation. And uh, so either way, dead is dead. And uh, but uh, but you can just tell by the way the officer is applying the knee that it was it was excessive force. And and, uh, and yes, I mean he was totally wrong. And then the officers that are with him need to be held accountable. But ultimately, he was the one responsible. They should have intervened. But like I say, what all happened there, what all was said. I mean, I don't know. And, but and, and it may just come down to that. I mean, they, they may come down to where uh, uh, the suspect was uh, was was for lack of a better term, talking trash to them, and they may have just been mad. And that, that happens. I mean, that's just the reality. They, they, you would think somebody that, that this officer had been on the force for 19 years, he had enough, uh, he, he was almost eligible to retire. He had about one more year to go. Most police officers, uh, police forces, you can retire for 20 years of service, and you would think a person with that level of experience should have known better. And so I'm not excusing what's going on, but I'm just trying to talk about the whole situation sure. and what possibly could happen. We're not going to know unless it goes to trial exactly all the aspects that happened there. And then at that point, at that point, everybody is forced to put their cards on the table, and, and uh, then we'll know what the whole the rest of the, the rest of the story is, as they used to say. Well, let's and, uh, uh, let's anyway, take a, so, let's take uh, a break here, uh, Sandy, right quick, and we'll come back and uh, finish out what you're saying. Hold that thought, and then uh, I want to talk to you about bringing out the guard, and we'll be back. All right, sir. Right after this.
My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on Agent in Charge and Mr. Sandy Bostick from Texas. And, uh, you know, I was listening to something, and uh, we were talking about the Philadelphia situation where a gun owner's store, was he was breaking into it, and, you know. Anyway, he took them out, and uh, uh, like you said, Texas is different. Uh, different states are different, but... Uh, I applaud the guy for standing up to the terrorists. So, with that being said, the National Guard has been called out in many, many states by the governors. And uh, my whole feeling, and this goes back to the Rodney King case in uh, L.A., that you, you meet, if you want to stop something, you meet force with superior force. And uh, I think that's a lesson that... Uh, Trump knows or understands, and uh, I don't think he's, I don't feel like he's doing anything, or, like you said, the the governors should be doing it, but if they haven't got the uh, intestinal fortitude to do it, then uh, I think uh, Trump does and will. And I, I, you meet force with superior force, and you put a stop to it. And, the, and it's like, um, I have a, a cousin that's a, an oral surgeon, and uh, he said, you know, whenever he uh, has to do oral surgery and uh, do an extraction or something like that, he says, I go in and I get as big a hole as I need and I get that tooth out of there and we're done with. And I sew it up. And he said, the pain that they endure with a bigger hole than they would have with somebody that messes around with it is less with the big hole because you haven't played with that tooth and irritated and hurt more skin around it. You just pull the damn thing out and get rid of it, you know, and that was his approach to it. And I think this is the same approach to what, how we have to look at this stuff in riots. Protests are fine. Riots are a whole different subject. And I think the quicker and with the more, the most force you need to squelch them, the better off we all are. 
Right, and and, uh, and here's the thing about today, the world we live in, and, and a lot of, you know, talking about use of military, I fully support not only using mili- the military and, and shutting down these riots, because they're equipped for it. They've got the vehicles, they've got the people, they're young, they're strong. Now, the only thing is, they're not trained law enforcement officers, and there is a difference between a soldier and a law enforcement officer, because the law enforcement officer is, is trained, what they used to call it, I think they still call it the same thing, it's called the force continuum. And the force continuum is, uh, for example, if I stopped you for a speeding ticket and uh, and go to your car and you're complying, I just write the ticket and you go away. You don't do anything forceful. If the person becomes belligerent with you, I mean, you ramp up your speak, and your, your way you're speaking to them, your voice, and you use command, your command presence, as they called it, to make that person comply. Person gets out of the car and wants to argue with you. Then you take your your uh, defensive stance and you warn the person to get back in the car. Otherwise, you're going to be forced to arrest them. And as it escalates and gets higher, you use the, the the level of force above what the other person is using to keep the situation in hand. Coming to the point, of course, the, the worst, uh, the, the highest level being deadly force. The person came out with, was come out with, with with a gun or a weapon. Then you have to shoot them. That's the very top of the force continuum. Whereas in the military, now today I know it's different because uh, they have to have permission pretty much, I've heard, to, to shoot an enemy uh, uh, target in most uh, situations when we're fighting nowadays in foreign countries. But for the most part, they're trained to uh, fight, kill, and win battles. And so, you know, you, you may have to go in there and use some a little bit different training tactics to, to prepare them to go into a civilian situation, especially with their own people, is that you don't just go in there and start shooting a mob, you know, I mean... And, and that's and they're they're trained. The military is trained to win by superior force and tactics. And so, but at the same time, when you get to a point where they're in, where the police cannot control the violence and that's going on, then of course that's that's the time you. It's pretty much war on the streets anyway. That's when the military definitely needs to be brought in, and not only in protecting these cities, but also in our border situations. I've never understood why we as a as a country, the only country in the world I know of that doesn't use its military to police and control its borders. And so uh, they have the equipment, they have the training, and they would just do a better job. Like I say, the only difference is is that they don't have the uh, the training. It's the uh, the force continuum that police officers have. You know, they 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 don't only train at it at the academy. They there's continuous training going on annually as far as you know on how to handle an escalating uh, a, a situation. Well, you know, so, I, I I want to butt in for a second because I I can address the National Guard. In that, that's uh, I was in the guard, and uh, during during a time that was uh, very touchy, and even in Texas at the time, and uh, we did in our as weekend warriors, uh, either drills or in our two week summer camps, we would have riot training, and we knew that that was probably more likely to be called out for that than to go to Nam. And uh, so now the Army or the the active duty folks, they don't have any riot training. Uh, We we did uh, in the Guard, you would do formations for riot training. You would do different things, uh, situational training and this kind of thing. And um, so I I will take up for the – and I doubt that it's changed. I would say that – I don't know how many weekends out of the year uh, a unit will train for riots, but I'm sure they are, and I'm sure now they will do it even more. But, uh, you know, the, the difference between the Guard and, and the active 
Army is that uh, the active Army, no, they. I don't know of any uh, training that they have, domestic training at all, for or riot training. Now, like you said, they both have superior vehicle power and... Uh, you know, uh, use of it—that's uh, that's up to the commanding officer. But uh, you know, they, they yeah, and also they they, they can they can uh, deploy superior forces, uh, number of, of soldiers or national guardsmen. That thing, you know, a police a police department only has X number of uh, of uh, officers in a city, and so you know, what it really comes down to in these massive situations that we're seeing that the police are just lots of places they're just getting overwhelmed. I mean, that wouldn't happen if you had the National Guard there, you know, side-by-side side with these guys keeping that situation under control. You just have you just have a lot more force and a lot more power. Oh, yeah, and, and like I said earlier, somebody yells out, affix bayonets, and that's going to that's gonna put the fear in somebody, I can assure you. And um, you, and I, uh, you and I discussed, I know you found it to be interesting, uh, when I was in Russia. Yeah, that I love was, this. Uh, when uh, Putin was uh, elected, I can't remember which term it was. Uh, he had, he was the prime minister when I arrived, and then uh, in the first year they had an election, and he was uh, elected president again. And, uh, and in Russia, you can be the presidential term is six years, and you can do back to back presidential terms for twelve years. But you at the end of twelve years, you have to take a break, and somebody else has to be president. But then you can run again and be president just until whenever, I guess, as long as, as, long as you can live well enough to keep you know, doing twelve year tours. And but anyway, so there was a lot of uh, this dissent, similar to like it is now. But it was a uh, about voter fraud. They said it was a rigged election, and it probably was. I mean, <laughs> you know, we we're all pretty familiar with the way these uh, uh, dictatorships work. And uh, but anyway, so there were lots of big demonstrations around Moscow, and uh, they were usually in the big city parks. And uh, but you know, there, I mean, you it's. it's Similar here, I mean, before you can have a protest, you have to uh, file with whoever your local authority is, let them know so the police can be deployed and it's going to be a bad situation. Same thing there. And uh, so there would be thousands of people in these mobs, in these uh, mobs, but once they started getting out of hand, the Russians had this uh, very, uh, I don't know what to find the right word to describe them, their, uh, their riot police were just unbelievable. They were monsters. They were huge guys. They were all, you know, six foot two, three, four at least, and, and weighed 250-plus, and, and they were in shape. I mean, they were big guys, and uh, they didn't have any firearms. They didn't use any firearms, but when uh, things started getting out of control and people started getting hurt and they started burning things, well, just like uh, the Roman legionnaires, you know, they would uh, they would form in a, in a big V, and a big V-shape, and sometimes it might be 50 to 100 officers, and they're shoulder to shoulder, and they have these big uh, batons that are looking more like baseball bats, and, uh, and then they have their big uh, shield that they use that you can see, uh, with the see-through top side. And uh, as, they're, as they're approaching the crowd, they start beating their shields in unison, just like the Roman legion, the Roman soldiers used to. And uh, and I've actually heard this, and you can't believe what a fearful sound that is. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine if you were the one of the persons in the crowd and you saw these guys coming at you. And so, uh, as they would move into the crowd to get rid of whoever it is was causing the problem, I mean, they would, I mean, of course, it was excessive force. I understand that. I'm not, I'm not saying this is the way to do it. I'm just telling you the way it happened. And, uh, they would just start waylaying people with those daggum clubs. And then, uh, as they, they had other officers coming in behind them. And if the person was laying there, either conscious or semi-conscious, they would grab them and they'd take them in these huge paddy wagons, military type paddy wagons that, uh, 
they would haul them off in. And so, but the thing is, they didn't have to do that very often because the crowd knew what was going to happen. I only, I only, I, I just uh, uh, saw it once and heard of it two or three times. But there were lots of riots going on, and so. Uh, but uh, anyway, so yeah, just that's just an interesting point. What goes on in Russia during the riot? I mean, they they keep under control, and I, I promise you, there's no looting that goes on there. I mean, you know, <laughs> even if you get to that point and you you get looted and you loot something, you break something. They're going to find you. They have they have cameras everywhere. They're going to find you. And you're going to wish you hadn't done it. And uh, so anyway, so that's the way the Russians handle it. Well, I, uh, any questions on the Russians method? <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounds pretty effective to me. And uh, you know, I, we might uh, we might ought to try it. Which brings up a, which brings up a point. As I mentioned uh, a minute ago, that uh, you know we're we're sort of in a situation of the perfect economic storm. You said the Dow was up, but that's only a portion of it of what's coming in the future as far as businesses being able to open back up or whatever. And uh, do you think this? Do you think this was um, foreign initiated in any way, or or? Uh, are uh, orchestrated in any way, or do you think this is strictly a, a domestic situation that might have been funded by uh, one individual that we all know that uh, uh, is trying to socialize the United States? Uh, if I were to, have, if, I, if, I, if this were a multiple choice question on an exam, I would go with George Soros' cause of this. I don't think I would. Now, like I say, I don't, I'm out of the intelligence world now. I don't have contact, and uh, I, I still maintain it. I have, I get to maintain my clearance for another two or three years. I've been retired two years, and it can be activated. But I don't, I'm not actively involved with the government anything anymore. And uh, I, I did my time. I had enough. I really had no desire to get back in there again. I enjoyed it, but I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I'm a civilian now. But I. If I'm looking at this uh, realistically uh, from all the things we're seeing, I would go more with the local terrorists such as Antifa. I think this uh, people are confused about Antifa. They're not really an organization that we think of like uh, like uh, the Hell's Angels Motorcycle Club or something like that. A bunch of you know, people that cause that live that cause problems. They get they're organized mostly on by social media. I mean so. I, to my knowledge, they don't they don't have club meetings and, and there's not a membership. They just uh, they say, hey, we're going to all meet at this point, raise as much hell as we can, and they're now they're politically activated. They're far leftist, and uh, but uh, but what we're seeing and now, if I were to really where I would start digging would be uh, whether uh, George Soros was involved in funding this because they're saying there's their buses pulled up these cities for all these guys. Well, somebody's organizing and paying for that because that's not free. And, uh, you know, and of course, when I say him, I mean, there's not, and, and those who, George Soros and those who think like him, I think it's probably more than just him. But it's, it's that, if I, I wouldn't really, I probably wouldn't look at a foreign government. I'm sure that they're applauding this, especially from China, where they're, you know, they're hoping this will shut our economy down to the point that, that they've been shut down. And, uh, but, uh, I doubt, it, it happens as fast. I don't really think that uh, if you want to look at Russia or North Korea or whoever may have been involved, I'm sure they're, they would like to throw a little more gasoline on the fire if they could, but I don't think they started all this. And uh, I, I would look I would look more domestically you know, before I started looking overseas. I, I, I try, to, try to find the, the source here in this country. 
All righty, with that, let's uh, take our last break, and we'll be back with Sandy Bostick right after this. Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it, and you'll love having one in your shower. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, folks, you're back on America's Web Radio and uh, the show called Agent in Charge. And we've got our agent in charge, Sandy Bostick, who is retired from Homeland Security and um, many other federal positions, as a matter of fact. But uh, Sandy wanted to talk about... The what ifs, and I, you know, and and um, I have a thing about that, Sandy. And and correct me if I'm wrong, but I played a lot of baseball in my youth, and uh, I don't know which I can't remember which coach, but one of my coaches, and I, and nobody was going to play second base except me. Period, and I I practice and practice and practice, and uh, one of the most important things that he ever said or my coach ever taught me was that whenever you're on second base or any position, it doesn't matter first or outfield, wherever you are, when you're playing defense and the guy's up at the plate, well, he's going to hit the ball to you, and. What do you do with it when he hits the ball to you? Am I going to first? Am I going to second? Am I going to third? Or what? You know, what am I going to do? That ball is coming to me, so I need to know what to do with it. And that's the same thing that we're talking about or about to talk about, in my opinion, is that you know the situation that you're in, and you decide this is what I may have to do or this is what I'm going to do. And I think the biggest thing that people have to be aware of is their surrounding. And I know people that uh, I don't see how they get from the house to the grocery store and that they don't know where they are, you know. And yet you have to be aware of your surroundings. I'm aware of my surroundings even, even in daylight when I go into my garage I take note, is there anything strange going on in my garage for any reason? Or when I drive up in my driveway, is there a car parked suspiciously? Or, you know, you just got to look around and, and be aware of your surrounding. Right. You, you hit it around the head there, Dave. That's, that's the, uh, and this goes back to one of our previous shows where we talked about things I learned as an agent that will help you survive in life. And, and you just covered, you pretty much covered three quarters of what we talked about in, in uh, that one segment right there is that situational awareness. Number one, having a plan, keep your eyes open, get your eyes out of that phone, uh, know what's going on around you, and uh, and then, you know, and, and always be formulating a plan in the event things go wrong. 
And so uh, there was a uh, circle. There's two different circumstances I'm just thinking about right now, and, and, I, and it also goes back to the uh, case of uh, back during the, the Rodney King riots in, in Los Angeles. There was a guy by the name of Reginald Denny. I don't know if you remember him, but he was a truck driver who was uh, got caught up in a traffic jam, and he was working, doing his job, and and, and the rioters came out. They drug him out of his truck, and and they hit him in the head with a brick, and he got survived. It's all on video. And, uh, of course, he was never the same again. He, he suffered brain damage from it. And, and uh, But his only crime was being a white guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so what you're going to also see, and I say that this doesn't, this is, this is, doesn't matter what race you are or, or what religion you are. I mean, right now, people on both sides, okay, not just, not just from the, uh, the, the, uh, the African-American side or whichever side that, that you want to put yourself on. I mean, you're starting to see the resentment from the uh, the right wing groups now, and I've I've seen on uh, that, that that there's different vigilante groups now starting to form up. And they're going to protect their local stores, and so you have a real good chance of getting injured just not for anything that you've done, just either being white, black, or or you know Catholic or whatever it is, or you know just because you're not like them because once once the uh, once these uh, emotions start running and people stop thinking i mean they don't think clearly they're just they're enraged and you just think back in your life the times that you were super mad you know you probably did things that you wish later you hadn't done and that's what's going on today and so uh particular a situation i know that was recently there was a guy from oklahoma up in tulsa and i believe he was trying to drive past he got caught up wasn't paying attention where he was and somehow he ended up in the middle of a black lives matter movement protesting this and uh they attacked us he was in a, a big one-ton pickup pulling a horse trailer they attacked his truck broke the windows out they tried to uh, set his trailer on fire and kill his horses now i I may have my stories crossed up, but I believe they took him from the vehicle and they beat him. And then at this one point, the uh, the police didn't manage to get in there and rescue him. Otherwise, I think they probably would have beat the guy to death, you know. And so, that said, what I want to in- encourage you, like you said, number one, situational awareness. Go back, have your plan, uh, you know. Watch your, you know, the time to watch your phone is when you're, you know, going through traffic. If you see that there's, you know, most of these phones now that, that, that you, uh, we all use our GPSs on our phone to find locations. If you see traffic backing up, find a different way to get around because you don't know what that backup is about, especially right now. Under no, normal circumstances, it doesn't really matter. Now, anytime you get stopped in a situation where you can't get away, you know, you now have increased your chance of being attacked and, and not being able to survive the situation. And so, that said, I was talking to my neighbor last night uh, across the fence. He, we were, uh, he was out shredding late in the evening, and we were out checking our, our hay field. And, and he asked me what I, my opinion was, what, what I suggested. And, and I suggested, I said, you know, this is one time uh, that you need to really, I mean, everywhere you go, thanks to our, you know, our forefathers' foresight, carry a firearm with you. And not just you know, carry something that, that, can, that can fire fast and, and carry plenty of ammunition. Hopefully you never have to use that thing. But like I say, the, this is the this is what exactly they when they when they uh, wrote the Second Amendment when they came up with the idea. This is what they had in mind. I, I go back to uh, when Joe Biden made a ridiculous comment to that uh, that auto worker. I can't remember. It was a couple months ago. Uh, he asked him, you know, the, the auto worker challenged him. He goes, "Why do you want to take my firearms away?" Joe Biden said. Why do you need a hundred rounds? Well, the guy couldn't come back with something quick enough. I, I, I've had I had the answer wrong tip of my tongue, and I wish I could have been there standing behind him, 
to tell him this is the first, this is the particular time when you need something that uh, not only can you uh, you know we need weapons that are equivalent to that of what the military and what the police have because when they get out of control we have to have a way to fight back we have to have a way to get them back into control on the flip side of that you know the second part of that is too in this particular situation you need to be able to defend yourself they call them assault weapons and uh, and and they're and yes they they are used to the militarily to assault to positions at the same time you know they're a super defense weapon too when someone is when you're being attacked by a large number of, 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 of uh, assailants you need to fire fast and accurately and so this is the time this right now you know we're seeing an illustration why owning firearm ownership is very important to us to maintain our freedom not just our freedom our safety and this this keeps these elements you know like the ms-13 gangs these outfits that would love nothing more than to go in and completely destroy an area it keeps them from doing that so my advice to you is you know you don't want to ever get into a shooting situation unless it's an absolute positive no other way to get out of it but you need to be prepared and uh, and then the, the the question also came up that we discussed discussed one day. Well, I think, well, you know, I said, man, I sure would hate to have to get in that situation because even if you were even if you were like the go hunter in Philadelphia, even if you were you know vindicated and and uh, and not found guilty, you're, the the cost of the your, the court costs and your attorney costs still going to be staggering, and that's true. And uh, so, you know, once you pull that trigger, whether you hit someone or not, I mean, there's going to be there's going to be an investigation guaranteed. And it's going to it's going to it's going to encompass your life for a long time. But at the same time, if you're in a situation where you have where you don't pull the trigger and you should have, you may end up losing your life. And so, you know, we'd rather have you here. And uh, so, you know, that's the, you just got to what's the old saying that from uh, that movie? uh, uh Full metal jacket, where the sergeant is teaching the guys how he's te- training uh, firearms, uh, uh, firearm destruction. He said, "You know, he said it's not the weapon that killed; it's the hard heart." And, and that is true. I mean, you have to be willing to to protect yourself and your family and, and what's yours. And so that's something you need to get you know, get your mind wrapped around. And so uh, at, at, during these times, I mean, you really need to be vigilant and don't get caught out there unarmed. I mean, you know. Uh, don't get caught in a situation that you can't fight your way up. Now, if you're totally opposed to owning firearms, and that's your right here too, when uh, when we when we were trained, we'd always you know there were situations where you made a traffic stop that you may not be able to get out of your vehicle fast enough to uh, to defend yourself and you know, to come up with a firearm and, and, and subdue a person. Well, in those particular situations, we'd always say use that seven thousand pound missile you're sitting in, and uh, you know if you have to run over the guy, run over him. And knock yourself a hole out there so you can get away from there. And that's the same thing you need to keep in mind is that when you get to a situation, you know, the rule is, you know, if you're looking at a vehicle in front of you, you should be able to see both back tires clearly, okay, from the, from the front of your vehicle. That was, well, now you're far enough back that if you have to, to ram your way through uh, a crowd or other vehicles, you have enough room to get enough momentum to do so. And so, once again, the whole idea is, is, is get away. Don't stand there and go toe-to-toe and fight these guys. And there's no way if you get out of a vehicle that you're going to be able to take on a mob, no matter how big and tough you are, they're going to get you. You can't take on 10 or plus more people and never win a fight. So 
get caught in this situation, make sure your arms never roll your windows down because when you air roll your windows down, then now you've invited them in. They get inside your vehicle, they get over your doors, and it's hard to get through a, a vehicle uh, glass. It really is. It's all everything on our vehicles is shatterproof, and and uh, it may scare the crap out of you. But uh, but most for the most part, they're not going to be able to get through your window. And so just have that mentality, you know, be armed in a worst-case scenario, but always be looking for a way to exit and get out of that situation. Excellent advice. And also uh, advice for, for women. And uh, they should always have their hand close or, or very close to pepper spray. And women in general, I particularly know one that... Uh, uh, I tell her all the time, be aware of where you are and what's around you. If there's something strange, then for sure have your hand on the pepper spray. And, um, you know, don't don't hesitate. If you're going to, well, it's just like pulling a gun. If you pull a gun on somebody, as you would back me up on, I'm sure, Sandy, plan on using it. If you don't, they'll use it on you. And same way with pepper spray right. and a woman. If you pull it on yeah. somebody or you point it, you best use it or you'll have it in your face. And uh, you don't want that. You know, there's, there, there's the old famous saying from that John Wayne movie, The Shootist, where when he's telling Ron Howard, he said, the reason I survived all those gunfights is that I don't hesitate. Yeah. <laughs> he said, I never think twice. And that's really the mentality you got to have. I mean, the two things that are going to save you is, is not hesitating. And, and being able to shoot fast and accurately, you know. I hope you never get in that situation. It'll change your life. But at the same time, you, your, your job, especially if you're a parent, is to take care of that family years and keep it safe. That's right. And so, uh, you know, so that's why I'm saying is just the best thing to do is avoid them, but you may not be able to. I mean, you just never know. And yeah, so, you don't. But being prepared is the most important, but, but physically and mentally, to, to respond. Yes, sir. And uh, with that being said, we're going to have to, uh, as they say, put the plug in the jug and uh, wait for next week to get more answers. Hope you know, I, I honestly pray that things have calmed and cooled. You know, and uh, so, Sandy, right. thank you very much, and uh, we will you talk bet. to you next week. Take care. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.